Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. about relationships, but we're going to talk about uh, four different things uh, over the month that can kind of be like ships, so to speak, to help uh, with relations uh, that, uh, that we need to have and should have in, in our lives. Uh, the four topics we're going to deal with to start with is the need uh, for relationships, and you'll see in a moment, I'm talking about a kind of a specific need for relationships. All of us need relationships. We weren't wired to be hermits or anything uh, like that. We need relationships of other people, especially uh, other believers. Uh, and they're going to talk about it, hey, it takes more than two, uh, and uh, and then intimacy, don't let your mind go into the gutter. Someone's already mentioned something about uh, that to me. Uh, those are two separate topics. It takes more than two. Intimacy are two completely separate topics, okay? Uh, and uh, you'll see that as we, as we get to it. Uh, and then we're going to talk about forgiveness on the last message in this series uh, that's based in God's purpose. Uh, so I hope you'll pray about this series. I hope you'll invite people to come out and, uh, and be with us. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of a, a I guess, a warning, uh, because while we are not dealing with a uh, romantic theme necessarily all through this series, three weeks in when we talk about intimacy, we are dealing with romantic theme. Uh, so that would be a very good Sunday if you've got small children, to be sure, that they're with, uh, with Daryl uh, in, in one of the day three kids' classes uh, up there because of the topics that we'll be dealing with on that particular Sunday. As we talk about the need of relationships today, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, uh, and we're going to be in verse number, uh, or in chapter number 2, in verse 1 through 12, and kind of just walking through that uh, and giving you a little bit of a survey of what uh, is there, and that's where we'll be later. Uh, Before we jump into the message, though, and I talk about the need of relationships in a specific way, which is this, I'll go ahead and throw this out to you. Uh, The need of relationships we're talking about today is that we need to build relationships with people so we can share the gospel with them. Uh, and so we can help mature people as Christians. So that's the specific need of relationships that we're going to be talking about. That being said, uh, I've asked Daryl and Sandra if they would come up this morning and spend just a few minutes with you and share a little bit about the relationships that, uh, that they have uh, fostered and, and that they see take place in our life group, in our small group ministry. So uh, Daryl, you and Sandra come share with us uh, about that. Before I hand the mic to Sandra, the pastor mentioned about being despondent if the Panthers lose. I'm despondent after watching the Love Boat theme and being reminded how old I am. So there's many in this room who have no idea about that series, right? The Love Boat. All right. I remember that. <clears throat> now, I just want to start out and <clears throat> find talk without crying. Uh, just to tell how special the Life Group's home teams are to me. in my life, and uh, what a joy, Um, just the caring, um, and I just praise Jesus that day three has home teams, and uh, the fellowship that we have, and um, not just with women that I have, but with the men, and as we get together in our groups, and we share stuff, and um, it's all right there in that room, and just to get it out here without crying. But I just want to thank God for that. Uh, And I know that as we, just for an example, as we gather in that group and we might have 30 um, and we're in a circle holding hands and praying and uh, telling each other our own things that we need, um, that all that stays right there in that group. And I just thank God for that. And I know that I can call on any of them at any time uh, that they'll be there for me. Um, But it's just a joy. And I just thank God for that. I'd like to, I know the pastor is going to probably nail it home with uh, about the priority of relationships. You know this, you were created for a relationship, number one, with God. That's why you were created. Number two, you were created for a relationship with God and others. Okay? God did not intend for us to be lone rangers in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, in our Christian journey. And so the need is there for to be a part of a life group. It's a priority. You see behind me on the wall, Brandy did an excellent job of of uh, illustrating the relationships with an anchor. An anchor is a priority in a ship as it goes out to sea. 
Life groups are a priority in my life. Because in a life group is the only place that I can find people who share my faith, who encounter the things that I encounter in life. I can't find that, or you cannot find that in the workplace. I don't know how many of you sit down at your workplace and sit down and have a small group Bible study. Likely none of you do. Probably none of you go with your life group or go with, a, uh, in, with your family or people you work with and go do ministry projects. Serve Jesus in the community. I do that with my life group. All those things add up in creating relationships and how it builds and strengthens my faith and encourages me that others need, we need each other. It encourages me that when I can be of service to someone, it encourages me when someone blesses me and serves me. See, folks, we're created to serve. (laughs) We're created to serve. We're never more like Jesus than when we're serving. And so I want you to, if you're not a part of a life group, do not be discouraged. (laughs) You can still join. And uh, just plug right in. If you're interested in that, please see me today before you leave the property. And we'll plug you in in, 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 into a, a life group, meet different nights, different locations, different times. And uh, covering different subjects, different topics. But life groups are a priority in my life and in Sandra's life, and we will not miss them for the world. I, I thought it'd be a good time to have them come up and, and do that because it is really important to have relationships with, with other believers. Uh, Daryl mentioned you can still sign up. There's, there are tables outside uh, in the connection area and also upstairs where you can sign up for a uh, life group if you've not signed up for one yet. Just quickly before I go on in the message, how, how many can say your life's being packed to someone by being part of a small group? Just raise your hand, hold it there for a moment. You know, most everyone here, but not everyone here. So that means there's still room for some of you uh, to sign up and participate uh, with that. Uh, if you want to find your Bible, we'll have it on the screen also, like I said, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And while we're going to read all those verses as we go through the message, I want to key in uh, on a particular verse because it's kind of the focus verse for today's message. And I want to key in and kind of give us a, uh, a theme that we'll use as an application for everything that I'm going to say uh, th- this morning. In verse number 8 of that chapter, it says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, in this message, there are a ton of worst studies. I'm not going to read all of them, uh, but they'll kind of be on the screen as I talk through them in case you wanted to uh, take time to read them more. But he's just saying that he had a really strong yearning uh, for these people in, in Thessalonica is what Paul is letting them know. And uh, he was willing because of this strong yearning that he had. He's very desirous uh, to uh, not only share the gospel, and when he says share with you not only the gospel, it's phrased like this in the Greek, not absolutely not just merely share the good news of God. Uh, that's what the gospel is, the good news of God. Now, saying absolutely not merely, that is not a negative reflection on telling people the gospel. We ought to tell people the gospel, and he was doing that. He was sharing the gospel of the words, but other things. He said also our own selves, and that can even say our own breath, our own spirit, our own vitality or life, because you become very dear to us. So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, yes, we shared the gospel with you, but he said, not just that, we've also shared our own lives. And that's kind of the send-off first for what we're going to talk about today. Yes, we need to share the gospel with people, but we need to pay attention to the pattern that Paul and Silas used as they were there in Thessalonica and other places. They traveled around Asia Minor, uh, spreading the gospel and planting churches across Asia Minor. Here was their pattern. They were telling people the gospel, yes, but they were also investing in the lives of the people that were around them. They also were giving those people their own lives. And what I'm going to submit to you today is we ought to follow the same example. Yes, we ought to tell people the gospel, but we ought to give people our own lives. We ought to be in that type of fellowship and relationship with others. So first, 
first of all, we can impact non-believers with the gospel as they see the authority of it and the power of it lived out in our lives, but we can also help mature believers. We can help each other grow, and that's what takes place in, in a small group. We, we need relationships, but we need relationships to the need of relationships that we're talking about today is the specific need of relationships to where we ought to be impacting the lives of others. Now, there's three main ways in this passage of Scripture I think that we can meet the gospel need for relationships to where we are impacting the lives of others by our lives and also by what we say. The first one that Paul gives us, he kind of gives us like three illustrations. The first one he gives us is the illustration of a good steward, a good steward. We should share our lives with others as faithful stewards. Look with me at verse number one through six. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we already suffered in being shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. In other words, he wasn't making it about money. God is witness, he said. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ. Now, let me give you some background on what's taking place before we get to Paul and Silas being in Thessalonica and Paul writing these words. He alluded to it there that in Philippi, he had been abused. I mean, he had really been shamefully abused is the way he uses the terminology there. Uh, So he had already been through a bad negative situation trying to share the gospel at Philippi. But he still goes on to Thessalonica, and he goes in there with some degree of success, planting a church, reaching people with the gospel. But then some Jews begin to tell lies about him, and other people begin to give opposition to Paul and Silas. So they have to leave. After initially starting ministry in the city, they have to leave. And now he's writing to them in that context. Even though they were there, they, they had to leave. Uh, a, a lot of people evidently had accused them, that some of the Jews that were trying to stop the ministry of Paul. They might have accused Paul and Silas of having wrong motives. They might have uh, accused them of having a self-motivated message that they were proclaiming or being money seekers or being people pleasers because of everything that Paul addresses here. But the truth was this, Paul and Silas were really faithful stewards of the ministry that God had given them. And we ought to be faithful stewards. The ministry that God gives us, the opportunity that he gives us to share the gospel and to live our lives and impact the lives of other people, we need to be good stewards of that. Because as other people see our faithfulness, that helps to develop and sustain relationships that will give us a pathway or an opportunity to impact their lives with the gospel. Now, there's some elements in those verses that we just read that we need to have in our lives to help us be faithful stewards of the gospel. In other words, I told you we ought to be a faithful steward. Now I'm going to tell you some ways we can be faithful stewards. Here's the first way that you and I can be faithful stewards. Paul talked about it in verse 1 and 2. We should be dedicated to the ministry. We ought to be dedicated to the ministry. We shouldn't just be willing to give up. We need to recognize up front, realize that ministry, when we do it for Christ, is not in vain. He wrote these words in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. See, some people might have thought it looked like it was in vain. It looked like it didn't matter. It looked like it was nothing because they went to the city. As I said a moment ago, they started ministry in the city. And then because of persecution, Paul and Silas had to leave. So some people might say, well, that was in vain because look, you come in and then you have to turn around and you have to leave. Your ministry there was not effective. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. Paul and Silas went into a city with no believers, zero believers, and they impact lives and they reach people with the gospel and they leave a strong church that was even there standing up under persecution. So it was not in vain. What they did had a significance to it. It had meaning, even though it looked like they had to leave and the gospel was being hindered somewhat, it wasn't in vain at all because they had went into a city where no one believed and they shared the gospel and they started a church there. So we need to remember ourselves that what we do for Christ is not in vain. 
Paul also wrote this in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that's one of the, that's the chapter people refer to as the great resurrection chapter where Paul's talking about the, the seeds of the resurrection. But he's reminding people that no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, don't ever believe the lie that it's in vain, that what you do for the Lord is in vain. I've used that verse many times when I stood at a cemetery uh, making some last statements over uh, uh, someone that's passed on and, and talking to the family. And if it's someone that I knew was a believer, many times I'll tell the family this, look, don't get sidetracked, don't get, uh, don't get pushed off by everything that's happened, this tragedy that's happened in your life. Instead, you need to stay immovable. You need to be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know your labor's not in vain. And I'll tell them if your loved one who's just died and gone to heaven, could stand here and tell you anything, I believe they would tell you, hey, everything I did for Jesus was worthwhile. Everything I did for Jesus meant something, and it was not in vain because it has eternal significance and it lasts forever. So if we're going to be faithful stewards of the gospel and faithful stewards of sharing our lives with others, we need to understand up front, it's never in vain. It might look like it is sometimes, but if you're doing something for God, it is not in vain. We also need to rise above past circumstances and continue sharing the gospel. Paul and Silas did that. Remember what I told you a moment ago? They had been abused already. In Philippi, he said, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, they had already suffered, they had already undergone hardships. Uh, the, the phrase for shamefully treating the Greek means they, they, to exercise violence or abuse. But they could have just given up at Philippi. Paul and Silas could have said, well, you know, we want to go serve Jesus. We want to go spread the gospel. We want to invest our lives in other people. But if they're going to treat us like this, if we're going to face this kind of abuse, we might as well just give up and go home and forget about it. But they did not do that. They kept going irregardless of what had already happened in their past. And that's something we need to buy into ourselves. I've got news for you. We live in a fallen world, right? With fallen people and people are going to hurt you sometimes. They will disappoint you. They will discourage you. They will let you down because we live in a fallen world. You may not be physically abused. You may be emotionally abused. But instead of using that as an excuse to quit sharing the gospel, quit serving God, quit trying to impact the lives of others, quit investing your life and sharing your life with someone else, instead of using that as an excuse to quit, you need to keep on keeping on. You need to keep on sharing the gospel because that's what they did. They rose above their past hurt. You see, there's a need for relationships that people have. The specific need of relationship we're talking about this morning is this. People need you and I to show up in their lives proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel, loving them like we should. And if we don't do that, then we're falling down in a great need they have in their lives. They need that type of relationship. We cannot afford to say, well, somebody hurt me, so I'm going to quit. Somebody hurt me, so I'm going to sit on the sidelines and wait this one out. We need to also be bold in sharing the gospel, even during conflict. If you want to be a good steward, if you want to be faithful in the ministry that God gives you to serve him. Second part of verse 2 says, as you know, we had boldness. In our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. They were very frank in their speech. They were confident in their spirit and their demeanor. And it means in a fixed position. When you read that whole phrase, their boldness in God, it means they had that type of confidence in a fixed position because they had their trust in the supreme God. And because of that, they were sharing the gospel of God, the good news of the supreme God, even in the midst of much conflict. That also means the word in the midst there also means in a fixed position. Even though they were in a situation where there's conflict all the time, even though they were in a fixed position of facing conflict, facing a battle, facing contention, facing anxiety, even though they were constantly facing a fight. See, the word they used there in the Greek was an athletic term. They talked about competing in the games. And all the Greeks who heard this in Asia Minor or read this would have understood, hey, I know what he's talking about. That means there's a, there's a battle taking place. Someone's wrestling, someone's fighting, someone's striving. They would have understood it to have been a, 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 an athletic term. 
Tonight at the Super Bowl, there will be people striving. There will be people trying to, to push as hard as they can athletically so they can win this prize called the Super Bowl. See, that's not the prize that Paul and Silas were after. They were proclaiming the gospel in the midst of much conflict because there's a crown that doesn't fade away, that doesn't ever pass away for them. And that's what we have to hold to. We need to remember, even if we're facing conflict, we can't afford to sit on the sideline. We can't afford to withhold the gospel. We can't afford to quit investing our lives and sharing our lives with others so we can earn the opportunity to share the gospel with them, so we can help mature them in the faith. And they can even help mature us in the faith if it's another believer. We, we can't afford just to, to sit on the sideline and not do it. Even during conflict, we need, to be, we need to be faithful and share the gospel. We need to be, if you want to be a good steward, you, you need to be faithful to the ministry. You need to understand how important the ministry is, but you also need to declare the right message, declare the right message. Keep reading in verse 3 and the first part of verse 4. Paul said, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He's saying the the invitation we're giving you, calling you near, the appeal that we're given is absolutely not, is what the, the word means in the Greek. It's an absolute negative. He said it absolutely does not spring forth. Its origin is not found in error. It is not fraudulent. He said, I've not been straying from orthodoxy. I've not been straying from doctrine. I'm not using deceit. The root word that's built from means to rove about as a tramp or an imposter or a misleader or a, mis- misleader or a seducer. Paul is saying, that's not the kind of message I'm giving you. He said, I'm not giving you any error. I'm not misleading you. He said, it doesn't come out of impurity or in cleanness uh, to be morally lewd or even demonic. Maybe some accusation been made against Paul and Silas that they were improper somehow in their relationships. And he said, that's not the motive of the message that I'm giving you. I'm not trying to deceive you. I don't have a decoy that I, that I put out there, a trick or a bait or any craftiness that I'm using. I'm not trying to trap you in any way. What Paul is simply telling them is this. He said, I'm not proclaiming a false message. I don't have impure motives by the message that I'm giving you. Paul instead had been entrusted with a gospel by God for him to be a faithful steward. Because Paul goes on and said, instead, this is what I've been doing. But just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with a gospel... The word approved means that God had tested Paul and found him worthy to be someone that would share the gospel for him. He said, I've been approved by the supreme God. I've been entrusted with the gospel. That's an interesting word or phrase there, entrusted with the gospel. It uses in part of that phrase the same word that we use for our faith. In other words, we believe that God is worthy to be trusted. We believe that God is worthy and he's faithful for us to put our faith in him and to depend upon him. That's the word that's used here. Except here it's used in God looking at Paul and saying, I believe in Paul. So I'm going to invest the gospel in Paul and ask Paul to go and share it. Hey, that same God wants to look at you and he wants to believe in you and he wants to invest the gospel in you. He wants to use your life to share the gospel. He wants to use your life to where you can share your life and invest your life with others so you can make an impact upon them. God has faith in us and he desires for us to share that that message that God has entrusted to us. Not only should we declare the right message, we also need to have the right motives. Second part of verse 4, Paul said this. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, if you're going to be a good steward of the gospel, a good faithful steward of God, your goal is not to please people, your goal is to please God. Now, now let me qualify that. That doesn't mean if your goal is to please God that you can abuse people. That's not what I'm saying. We're told to correct people with an attitude of love. We we're told to have the right mindset as we deal in the lives of other people and we invest our, our lives in them. We're not to abuse them and say, well, this is what God says and you're just a bad person. That's almost the way we come across as, as a church sometimes regrettably. We're to proclaim the right message with the right motive. We understand that it's absolutely not about pleasing man because he uses the absolute negative again. But instead, we're to please God. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
We're to be doing what we do, sharing the gospel, living our lives, trying to impact others in a way that that gives an excited emotion to God, that's agreeable to God. There's a word used in that phrase that means to lift up or sell away. It's the same word that's used for talking about God taking our sin from us when we believe in him and selling away. So there's freedom in that. So it seems like to me Paul is saying, hey, we can give God a degree of freedom ourselves as we have the right motive, as our motive is to trust in him, to obey him, to please him, because he's the one that's testing our hearts. He's looking at what our motives are. Regrettably, we, we live in a time that a lot of people's motives, I'm, I'm afraid when I, I look at some, some ministries and uh, even you know, maybe some ministries on TV and not on TV, I, I'm afraid a lot of times there's a there's impure motives taking place in the day that we live in. People are more concerned about pleasing people than they are pleasing God. Or they're more concerned about money than they are pleasing God, because Paul addresses that here also. See, not only should we have the right motives, we ought to have the right method or use the right method. Verse 5 and 6, Paul said, For we never came to you with words of flattery. That's not the way Paul did things. He wasn't blowing smoke their way, trying to build them up in a false way. He said, we didn't come to you. The, the phrase there means not even, not ever one time did I come to you with words of flattery. He said, we never come to you with words of flattery as you know. So he's calling these Thessalonian believers as a witness to what he's saying. If you start doing that, you better be telling the truth because you've said as you know to these people he's writing to. Nor the pretext for greed. In other words, Paul wasn't about money. That wasn't why he was in the ministry. And then he says this, God is our witness. Hey, if you call to the people that you've been ministering to and say, you're my witness, and then you look at God that knows all things and say, God, you're my witness, you better be communicating the truth. Amen? And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm not doing this about greed, not with a pretext of greed. God is my witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. He said, we didn't do that. That wasn't the goal. That wasn't the method that I was using. I wasn't using flattery. He, he said, I, I didn't use a pretext for greed. The, the word for pretext means to wear a mask or a cloak. In other words, it gives the idea, or let's, let's say that's Paul's motive and that's greed that he has in these, it's like he's covering it up to where people don't see it. That's the, that's the phrase that he's using. He's saying, that wasn't my motive. I didn't have a motive of greed. I didn't try and cloak it to where you couldn't see what I was about. He was saying, I was authentic with you. I was being honest with you. I was clearly sharing the gospel with you and sharing my life with you out of the right motive and out of the right method. You see, Paul was really, really concerned about perceptions. And we need to be also. It's not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing God. But if we present the wrong perception, sometimes it hurts our ability to please God. You understand what I'm saying? And he was very concerned about that. He didn't want them to look at him as though he's some type of traveling evangelist that comes into town and takes up a huge offering and then, and then takes off and they, they don't even know where he went to. <laughs> when I was in law enforcement, I used to see it take place sometimes in the town that I was serving in. You'd have a big tent meeting come in. And I'm not saying this is always true of all tent meetings. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I was in the patrol car one time sitting outside in a parking lot within hearing distance of what this evangelist was telling people where he'd come in and set his tent meeting up. And he was telling them, God has told me there's someone here tonight that can give $1,000. And there's someone here that can give $500. And he named several figures and everything. And he said, God led me to come here by faith. And I've already written out checks that are in the red. (laughs) expecting you to give. I thought he just told me he broke the law. <laughs> he wrote checks, was going to bounce. Maybe I should walk in and pay him a visit for a minute right in the midst of his service or something. His motive was wrong. Now, that's not the way you do things for the gospel. They just open up a door for a pretext for greed. That's what Paul's talking about. He was concerned about perceptions because Paul was so concerned about that as a perception. Paul worked as a tent maker 
hard labor. He wasn't just sharing the gospel with people. He was working as a tent maker during his living because he was concerned about the perception of people. Now, Paul didn't have to do that because Paul also wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He said, the elders who direct the affairs of the church uh, well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain in the work that deserves his wages. In other words, Paul, by him working, was not saying this wrong for anyone to receive monetary compensation for serving. He was saying the exact opposite, but he was so concerned about perception. He wanted to be sure there was no way they could accuse him of falsehood. There was no way they could accuse him of being about the money. Paul calls upon the Thessalonian believers and upon God as his witness. So what he's saying, like I said a moment ago, better be true. Paul wasn't interested in money. He wasn't interested in personal fame. He wasn't interested in glory from people. His focus was upon building relationships and sharing the gospel. And I'm simply submitting to you, that ought to be our focus. We need to be faithful stewards of the gospel God has given us to where we tell people and where we invest our lives with people. So we can impact their lives. Second illustration that Paul uses here is not of a faithful steward, but he uses the illustration of a nursing mother. We, we ought to share our lives with others like a, like a nursing mother. He said, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not the gospel of God only, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, and we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Well, what an illustration of how we ought to, we ought to care for other people, how we ought to invest our lives in other people. A nursing mother... <laughs> You know, think about, the, think about all that Paul is saying there. And really what he said, we can, we can add to what he said, more or less, or describe what he said with, with some buzzwords on, on the screen that I thought of as I thought about a nursing mother. When I think of a nursing mother, you get this picture of gentleness. <laughs> he said, but we were gentle among you. He said, instead of just sharing the gospel, we were gentle with you. We, we did it intentionally because we, we wanted to cause or, or generate a love toward you to where you'd understand we're gentle toward you like a, like a mother is toward an infant or even a simple-minded person is what the word means in the, in the Greek or an immature Christian or, or a baby. He said, we were gentle among you in a fixed position. That word shows up a lot here in the... Greek, we were gentle among you in a fixed position among you. See, that means this. Paul's saying, I, I was gentle all the time. <laughs> no matter what was taking place, what was going on, I was still gentle with you. And, and a mother is. Think about that, 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 that picture, that, that image of, uh, of a mother as she is nursing her baby. Being gentle as she nurses that baby. She, she has this relational connection. It's not that she's feeding the baby, but it's a very intimate type of relational connection that a baby has with a mother when, it, when it's being nursed in that way. And we need to have that goal as Christians. We need to be relationally gentle with others so we can grow them up in Christ. I, I think a baby, while the baby can't communicate it, but I'm sure, I, I'm pretty sure the, the baby emotionally when the baby's in the arms of its mother being nursed, that baby feels like it's in a safe place. Wouldn't you think so? And, and you see, people need to feel like they're in a safe place when they're with us. You know, to where we can impact their lives, or we can generally love them with the gospel, to where we can, can try and mold them. Not just gentleness, but nourishment. When you think about this illustration of a, of a nursing mother, he says, like a nursing mother in the manner of a nursing mother, the root word there means to fatten or to feed or to cherish or to pamper or to rear up. See, when a, when a mother is breastfeeding, she, she's literally giving life to that baby from within her own life, from within her own body. It is something that comes from within her. 
Not always fun to start with. I, I you know, I, 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 we have three kids, so I had the chance to figure that out. There's some initial pain, you know, and, until it's kind of like a break-in period for the mother to get used to nursing again. But there's these special nutrients that are there, especially early on. I mean, the doctors will even tell you today, even if you do not breastfeed throughout the pregnancy, you need to do it at least for the first few days because there's special nutrients there that the baby gets they can't get anywhere else. Antibodies and stuff that that baby needs. And that comes right from inside the, the life of that mother into the life of of that baby. It requires self-sacrifice on her behalf. I kindly, uh, Becky's not here. I guess I can say this and get away with it. Some of you will run tell her, won't you? <laughs> but during the stages that she was nursing, that she was baby feeding before she switched over to bottle feeding, you know, at some point in time, I kind of liked that because when one of the kids cried, if Jessica was crying or uh, Bethany was crying or, or Jared was crying or whatever, I couldn't do nothing about it. <laughs> it's three in the morning, but honey, you're the one who's got to take care of this. <laughs> Until the bottle feeding came around, maybe that was a motive to move over real quick. And then she could say, no, you can take care of this now. But there's some self-sacrifice involved in it. And all that is true of us, you see, as, as we try to invest our lives in other people, to minister the gospel to them, to try and to pour our lives out, to share our lives with others, th- there's this life that God has put in us, his life that he's put in us. And just like a mother nurses that baby and gives life to that baby, there's life that God has put in us, invested in us, that we need to feed to somebody else, that we need to impact others. Affectionate. Paul said, I'm affectionately desirous to have kind feelings toward the longer yearn for, as I, I said earlier. Think about how a mother desires the great affection her child. And to illustrate that, sometimes when there's a tragic loss of a child, that mother is almost inconsolable. Or when the children grow up, I mean, just every now and then I can see it in Becky, especially like when our grandbabies came or somebody else has a baby or whatever. She misses them being babies. Now, you wouldn't want them to stay babies. The point is to grow them up, right? But she misses that, that state because there's this special desire, and we ought to have a desire ourselves to give our lives to others, to share the truth of the gospel with others. Think about truth of the gospel. Paul said, I'm ready to share with you the gospel. He's ready to share his life also, but he said, I'm ready to share with you the gospel, the good news. And while Paul is literally talking about sharing the gospel of God, a mother wants to share good news with her children. A mother wants to raise her children based upon truth. She wants to invest truth and share truth with her children to to mentor them in that way. And we need to have that desire to mentor others to where we want to feed others the gospel. We want to feed others the truth and, and, and try and be good stewards of the truth of the good news and, and impact them with our lives. A mother will set a good example or mentorship for that child. See, Paul said this, not only the gospel, but also our own selves. I did the word study earlier in the introduction of the message, but it means absolutely not merely the gospel, not just by words, but the gospel by our lives, by our own breath, by our own spirit, by our vitality. He said, because you become very dear on the very account of, because it's been generated in our lives, that you've become very dear to us. You see, a mother wants to give truth and instruction, words, but a mother also wants to mentor, live her life in a way that shows her kids how to live. Shows them how to deal with circumstances that might come up in their lives. And guys, we have to do the same thing as Christians. It's not enough just for us to say the gospel. We have to live the gospel because other people are watching. And it's not just because other people are watching. We need to live the gospel to mentor it before other people because they need to be able to look at our lives and figure out how to live. Just like a baby needs to watch his parents and watch his mother, new believers need to be able to look at our lives and see our faithfulness and see what 
you ought to do as a Christian. They ought to be able to look at us. Then the word labor. Paul said, you knew my labor and my toil. Interesting word in the Greek for labor. It means a cut. (laughs) Labor can be tough sometimes. Toil is reducing strength. It can cause pains and trouble and weariness. The word toil means toil or sadness or travail or difficulty. See, a baby's brought into the world through labor, through pain on the part of the mother. Like I said, we've had three. Most of you are aware of that. But uh, we went through Lamaze class and everything. And with Jessica, I, I, I was new at this and everything. So uh, they, they told us, that, well, you know, if they start wanting to push before it's time to push, you need to blow in their face. I did that with Becky. She looked like a possessed demon in that moment. I thought my life was over when I, every time I blow in her face. It helped when the contractions came. She wanted something to squeeze on. And my arm was pulverized into nothingness almost. So by the time Bethany came around, I got smart. I took a tennis ball. I said, here's, squeeze that <laughs> when the pain hits. Jared had his cord around his neck. We're lucky to even have him. Or blessed by God to even have him. In a knot in the cord. And a lot of difficulty in trying to have him and, and everything. Bethany, uh, whether you believe it or not, Bethany was the biggest. Can you believe that by looking at him now? Bethany was nine pounds, two ounces. And Becky had some problems contracting back down and bleeding. So there was labor and toll and difficulty in having the baby. And all of you moms, you can thank me for saying this later. I'm just going to remind your husbands of this. But a mother's labor only begins when she has the baby. Amen? Because they work tirelessly. Hours only and caring for their family. Caring for their children. And I'm just telling you, Paul gives us a great illustration here of how we need to be toward people around us. People need relationships. But they need a specific relationship of you and I being faithful stewards. They need a specific relationship of you and I being like a nursing mother, being that gentle and caring and loving as we share the gospel, as we pour our lives out into others. But he uses one last illustration, and that's the illustration of a caring father, of a caring father. We should share our lives with others like a caring father. If you remember, brothers, our labor of toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I know I used that a moment ago for the mother, and uh, she may be more deserving of it in a lot of ways, but it's also true of the dad, I think. Because he goes on and says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul said he was like a caring father to these believers in Thessalonica. And you and I need to be like caring fathers also. I need, I'm not going to walk through this fast because our time's gone. But as I thought about a caring father in verse 9, dedication is what I thought of. See, it talked about the labor there. For you remember, brothers, the labor and toil, working night and day. You see, a caring father works hard to provide for his family. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't, you're worse than an infidel if you don't provide for your family. And a caring father does that. See, Paul was working hard. He was dedicated to his spiritual family, trying to help in their lives by investing his life into theirs. We need to be dedicated. Paul gave them an example in his conduct. He said, you're witnesses. Once again, he calls the Thessalonians witnesses. And God also, he said, you're witnesses. And God also, he did that twice in this passage of Scripture. 
How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Wow. Now, what a statement. You're throwing that out to people that you've been around, that he'd been reaching out with the gospel in Thessalonica. He's saying, you're a witness of this. And then he says, God, you're a witness of this. How holy, how pious, how much right character he had lived with. How righteous, how righteously, how equitable in character and action or innocence he had operated in. How blameless, in other words, he was irreproachable. That's what the word means, where no one could bring a reproach against him. See, that too needs to be our goal as caring fathers. We need to set that type of example to where we are holy and blameless and righteous before others. Not just for our own children in the illustration of a father, but before other people as we try and share the gospel and as we try and invest our lives with them. They need to see us living holy, righteous, and blameless lives. And in verse 11 and 12, I think, as I thought about this, caring like a father, I thought of instruction. Because a caring father ought to give instruction to his kids. He said, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He said, I exhorted you, I've called you near, I've invited you, I've invoked you. That's the same word, by the way, he used to talk about the Holy Spirit of God, being our comforter. So so Paul is saying, I've I've comforted you, I've exhorted you, I've called you near, I've encouraged you. And that's a similar word to being exhorted, but it maybe has more action involved in it to to be there with them, consoling them and comforting them. And and then he charged them, he gave them an expectation in their lives. He charged them, He, he said, this is what you need to do. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of God. In your life, he was telling believers, you need to tread all around. That's what the word walk means. Walk at large is what it means in the group as proof of ability. I want you to live or deport yourself in a way that's appropriate or deserving or suitable of God himself because God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God urged you on. God called you into his royal realm, into his glory. And because God has done that in our lives through Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, God has called you into his kingdom. He's called you into his glory. And that's why we ought to be charged to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. We're talking about a special need of relationships. We all need relationships. But especially when we think about the gospel. People need relationships of you and I sharing the gospel, but also living the gospel, sharing our lives with others. That happens more effectively with relationships. Oh yeah, you can still go up on a door and knock on a door and land blast somebody with the gospel. And sometimes it will work. Sometimes God has them at the point that they're ready to receive the gospel. But more effective than that is this, and it's a method that Jesus used, and it's a method you see in the New Testament, and that is we build relationships with people to where they see our authenticity and they see that we really love them, that we're authentically concerned about them. And then it is through that concern that we have a platform and access and ability to try and share the gospel with them because we have shared our lives with them. He charged them to walk worthy. It's kind of cute. You know, we got videos of them. I should have brought some videos today and played videos. I could have embarrassed Jessica and Bethany both pretty bad. Maybe Jerry, but you see, he's the third one. You quit making videos and pictures. That's all. That's old hat, you know. I got some really cute videos, and probably you do too, of that baby learning to walk. You see, typically we encourage it, don't we? We'll, We'll stand there and we'll help them stand up. We had to with Bethany. Bethany scooted everywhere. She could scoot faster than I could walk after her. I'm not joking. I, I should have brought a video of that. She'd throw her hip and throw her hip and throw her, use her hands and like a monkey going across the floor faster than, than I could walk. 
So we had to really encourage her walking. Set her on her feet, try and help her. Set her on her feet, try and help her. Set her on her feet, try and help her. Hey, that's true of people. We have to give them life to begin with by sharing the gospel with them. But then you and I need to invest our lives in their life and help them learn to walk for Jesus. Help them learn to walk in a way that's worthy of him. Paul tells us how we can meet the need, the gospel need of relationships. Be a faithful steward. Nurture people like a nursing mother. And be like a caring father. Let's pray. Father, we, God, we thank you for these pictures you've given us through the pen of Paul and Thessalonians about how we need to invest our lives in others. Or a lot of times in February, we, we just think of romantic relationships and there's nothing wrong with that. You're the one that gave us that ability and that desire. But Father, help us to understand we, we need to be involved in this special kind of relationship. There's a need in people's lives, a need in our lives, that we will pour our lives into others and we'll let others pour their lives into us as believers. There's a need for us to so invest our lives in lost people that we earn the right, that we earn their trust to share the gospel with them. Father, help us make commitments to meet that need of relationships today as we wait before you. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.